Well, this is Javier Ortega Alvarez, and he um, earned his BA in art history and economics from Florida State recently, and um, he's currently applying to PhD programs in art history. And he's also working here at the Hirshhorn with our senior curator of modern art, Valerie Fletcher, and um, they're working on research for our upcoming exhibition, Supersensorial. And the exhibition looks at the international light and space movement through environmental installations uh, by five pivotal Latin American artists. Um, some of their work is included in this gallery here, including uh, Jesus Rafael Soto, who's have, whose work Javier will discuss today. Um, the exhibition's currently at MOCA in LA, and it will be opening at the Hirshhorn on June 23rd. Um, well, thank you all for coming. I'm going to be actually concentrating on this piece over here. Um, there's two Sotos in the gallery. This one over here, which is eight silver, and this one over here, which is two volumes in the virtual. They were both made at um, exactly the same time, 1968. But I'm just going to be concentrating on this one, and I'm actually going to be talking about the 1950s and his development through the years and how he came up to create this kind of work. So, um, he was born in uh, 1923 in Ciudad Bolivar, which is a small town outside of uh, Caracas, Venezuela. Um, and then he uh, acquired a grant to move to Caracas and study art. Um, when he was about 16 or 18 years of age. Um, he studied art for a few years, and then he got assigned a post at the same school where he acquired his studies. Um, there's not much to say about his development in Venezuela since nothing happened at this time. Um, Venezuela was... Um, Venezuelan art was pretty much the same as it had been through decades, and it was part of... Um, movements that were going on in Latin America uh, that you're familiar with, like muralism and indigenism, which look towards uh, pre-Columbian um, civilizations as a way of establishing a national identity. Um, so countries like Mexico and Peru were highly involved in this kind of movements. But countries like Venezuela and Brazil and Argentina were not as involved. So in those countries, this type of abstraction became a different way of establishing a national identity, and it looked more towards the art than towards that identity that I've been talking about. So in 1950, Soto um, acquired another grant, and this time he moved to Paris, um, which was a really good thing for him because it allowed him to study prior movements that he had been studying in Venezuela, but there was no research whatsoever that he could learn from. Um, so movement like, uh, movements like cubism and abstraction that were highly influential in the beginning of the 20th century, um, Soto became very knowledgeable about. Um, especially, uh, he was highly influenced by uh, Mondrian, which I hope you all know the work. Um, he was more interested in Mondrian's uh, two-dimensional um, compositions and how the elements work in his paintings um, and how he created uh, kind of like a language of um, not relating to outside uh, um, influences. Like, uh, there was no way of knowing that the art that Mondrian was creating was actually influenced by nature. Something like um, when you see a cubist work of art, you still see the reference from nature, and you can still see reference points in the paintings, and that's what uh, Soto eventually 
became aware, and that's where he became creating this kind of works. Um, at the same time, he was also studying uh, Kandinsky, and he became um, highly influential at Soto more because of uh, his spirituality and art, and also by Maholi Naj, who um, was active in the Bauhaus during the 20s and 30s, and um, industry and art uh, as relating. Um, so Soto became creating in the 50s works that uh, were very similar to Mondrian's work, but uh, instead of uh, the way that Mondrian created his work, which is uh, just straight lines and primary colors, um, Soto actually used jagged lines and diagonal lines, and he stepped a little bit outside the boundaries of that color that Mondrian used. Um, and sometime before 1955, um, he also started, um, he was a musician himself, so he played guitar and he was highly influenced by the modernist uh, research into a different way of creating music in the 1920s, um, especially Arnold Schoenberg, I hope I'm saying that name correctly, uh, which in 1921 he created uh, serial music as a way of uh, kind of creating a new um, language in music. Um, that's not to say that Soto became um, started doing works that were actually a series of works. He just took the notion of creating serial music, which is just uh, 12 notes on the chromatic, chromatic scale, and um, using those 12 notes as a reference point to create the, the music. Um, then in 1955, uh, he was participant in an um, exhibition at the Denise René Gallery in uh, Paris, which is highly influential because it was, uh, it was uh, the spring point of kinetic art. And kinetic art, um, as you may know, it's, uh, it's just related to movement and how movement is perceived in the work of art. Now, the difference between Soto and the other kinetic artists was that movement in Soto's works is suggestive. It's not actually in your face. It's not, the work is not moving, but you actually have to move to see the movement. So, I mean, you probably have noticed as you move through a work that the, the squares in front of the painting move. So unless you move, the work itself would not move. And the same goes for that piece over there, which is a lot different from this, but it follows the same principle where you have to move around the work to see the, the work move. So it became this idea of seeing the work of art as an object and less as a work of art which is the same idea that the minimalists were following in the U.S. and the neo-concrete artists were following in Brazil. But um, the difference between, say, the minimalists and the work that Soto was doing was that the minimalists were highly concentrated on the object as a work of art. The Soto was just um, more concentrated on movement in the work and how the work is perceived. So he started thinking about this idea of Instead of thinking about the work of art, you perceive it, which changes the notion of how a work of art is actually seen, which creates this um, kind of a sensorial interaction with the work, which was different from what it was being created at the time. Um, and then at the same time, uh, there was a, a highly influential uh, critic his name was Jan Clay, when he referred to kinetic art, he said something about 
it's not that which moves, but something that creates instability in the real. So it, it comes into this kind of theoretical idea of how the work is perceived in space. So at the same time, um, a work like this, it doesn't matter placement of the work, um, the same way the minimalists were doing. So if you were to set the work on the floor, you would still move around the work and interact with it as an object instead of a work of art. Um, it cannot be said the same thing about this one over here. I pretty much has to say there. But, um, so he, uh, he started toying with these ideas about theoretical notions of art and how art is being interacted with and how this can still be considered a painting because it's, it's painted and because it follows kind of like the same techniques but at the same time can be considered a sculpture. So it, it, it falls in that category where it has no way of categorizing the work. So you don't see it as a painting or as a sculpture. You see it as an object of art to be perceived. So um, going back to our note about music and uh, serialism, um, Soto in the 50s created this um, kind of structure for his work where he would limit himself to a certain amount of colors so he can take that uh, part of the equation out and kind of concentrate on other things. So he assigned numbers to the colors, and he, um, he had a total of nine colors, ranging from primary, secondary colors, and then black, white, and ultraviolet. So most of his uh, compositions such like this you only see white and um, black. And even the silver squares on the bottom, um, they're reflective, so it's not really color that you're seeing there. Um, this is not a way of restricting himself to a certain uh, way of making art. It was more a way of him concentrating on other things that were pertinent for him in the art. Um, and then... Um, back in the 50s when he started uh, creating works that would follow the same uh, manner. He created uh, works that were on plexiglass and actually had more color to it. And I have a, um, an image if you just want to pass it around, kind of like a reference point. He created plexiglass uh, um, compositions where there would be a, plexiglass, uh, a pane on the back and then he would take another plexiglass pane and kind of move it outwards into space. Um, and then he started changing this, the, the distance between the first and the second or third or fourth. He added a certain amount of uh, paints to it. And at some point he realized that by doing this, he, um, he started noticing that the work will move. And that's why he arrived at works like this. Since you would have to interact around the work, you cannot, if you stood just right in front of the work, the work would be a lot different than if you stood on a diagonal way. So he started noticing that movement was more suggested than actually implied in the work. And yes, he's a kinetic artist, and yes, he um, dealt with movement in his work, but like I said, it's suggestive movement, and that's pretty much what Soto started working um, on 50s onwards. And then both these both works, they were both made in 1968, and then um, he kind of stopped at a late 60s, he kind of stopped doing this kind of work. And then he still, I mean, he still did it in the 70s and 60s, but then he moved into works like this, which were precursors to um, 
words that would be, uh, as Jennifer was talking about um, later in the summer. Um, they're called penetrables. And he's fully engaged at that point with the idea of the viewer as um, participant in the work. You have to move through the work in works like the penetrables to actually move the work. So he's still engaged in movement and um, suggestive movement, but unless you enter the work of art, you won't see the movement. So if you have any questions, um, anything you say? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but it's like, I mean, I wasn't trying to say that Venezuela was entirely the vote of art, but uh, Venezuela benefited from the fact that they didn't have those pre-Columbian um, civilizations, so they were not stuck like Peru and Mexico in those kind of indigenous and muralism ways. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the same work that Soto was doing in Paris was going on in Venezuela at the same time. That's why... Uh, some of the artists here um, are indicative. They're all Latin American artists, and somebody like uh, Julio Le Park on the other side, um, he was from Argentina, and he also benefited from this um, new wave of thinking in Latin America, but his research was mostly into light and the movement of light instead of the movement of the work, which is entirely different from what uh, Soto was doing. So. Once he left, uh, as far as I know, once he left for Paris in 1950, he pretty much stayed there. He, uh, he went back to Venezuela uh, a few times, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't like long periods. He had a contemporary, Carlos Cruz Diaz, who uh, was actually um, who was part of this kinetic movement also, but he was kind of in the fringes. He was more concerned with color and uh, color and interaction of color in space. Uh, somebody like Carlos Cruz has actually traveled to Venezuela and, and had both studios in Venezuela and um, Paris. I mean, as far as I know, Soto pretty much went to Paris and stayed there for the rest of his life. So, All right. No more questions? Um, kind of. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of weird because the artists in the gallery are actually all were doing different things at different times. Like uh, Soto was actually the first of all the artists in the gallery that started doing this kind of work. Um, and some artists like uh, Martha uh, Boto, she was, she was more considered of a, an optical artist, like op art, which Soto actually did also. But you, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to categorize Soto as an op artist. Because even though this is an optical illusion, it's still movement. So you have to categorize it as kinetic art, because it moves. Um, something like this is, is an optical illusion. Um, I mean, you can see some movement, but it doesn't really move. So all these artists were working all at the same time in Paris, but Soto was the first of them that started doing this kind of works. So. Can you describe this environmental 
Yes, uh, so the work that is going to be on supersensorial is um, it's, it's a large-scale work. It's pretty much the size of um, one of these galleries, and it's, it's hanging nylon rods. Um, some are blue, some are yellow. The one that we, that's going to be installed here is going to be a, a blue uh, installation, and it's just hanging rods. Um, I've heard it described as, as rain, um, kind of like raining hanging rods, and you pretty much walk through... Uh, I mean, the, the work of art can be entirely undisturbed, and if you stand on one end, you can actually see the other side through the little hallways that the rods create. But if you walk through it, the work moves with you. So it's just, um, it's kind of like interaction with the work of art. So. And what year did he start working? 1973. Yeah, um, he started doing works like those uh, around the late 60s, and then at some point in the early 70s. It was, the, the work was conceived in 1973, but it wasn't actually made until 1999. Um, so somewhere around the early 70s, he started create, like he created this notion of the penetrable um, and how you penetrate the work which was actually um, the same time another artist that is going to be in the exhibition uh, in the summer, Helio Oitisica, which is a Brazilian artist. He also created, he kind of coined the word in the, in the early 1960s, in 1961, I believe. He created um, kind of like a room where you would step in. He called that a penetrable. So, all right, well, thanks for coming. <laughs>